find it really hard to like love my body and um, I find that that can be quite disingenuous all the talk about love your body it's like hang on I've spent the last 20 years hating it and I suddenly have to be a lover like so my therapist said to me she's like what about just being its friend Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. Next up, we welcome the brilliant vegan activist and Harry Potter actress, Ivana Lynch, who is about to launch into season three of her award-winning podcast, The Chick Peeps, a friendly, fun and free-flowing ethical vegan podcast driven by a quest to be more compassionate towards animals. The new season is launching to tie in with World Vegan Day at the start of November, so be sure to tune in and listen to some amazing guests, including Fern Cotton. In this episode, we talk about how Ivana coped with fame after Harry Potter, how it impacted her relationships, how she struggled with her identity growing up, along with her battle with an eating disorder, and how she now celebrates her body through aerial yoga. As ever, we are so thankful to all of our listeners for tuning in each week. And to help us keep going, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Also, please share our newsletter to your friends and family or to anyone who you think needs a hit of happiness in their inbox. Just go to whateveryourdose.com forward slash newsletter. So obviously, um, you're best known for your role as Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix. I think that's when you started, wasn't it? And you were only 14. Like, what was it like growing up and experiencing fame at that young age? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I enjoyed the acting side of it. I was so ready for that because I loved acting and um, I so loved the role and the books. I was like, yeah, just sign me up. I want to step into this world. But Mm. yeah, the fame part was really strange, um, especially because I had been such a big fan of the books and films and the actors. I had just been reading about them for years. I had all their posters on my walls. And so it was weird to suddenly be part of that crowd. Um, And that definitely like, gave me such a sense of inferiority which is annoying because it's like oh I wish I did I enjoyed it more I think I, I definitely enjoyed it I just kind of was like accepted you know what I maybe don't feel like a famous person I don't feel like I should have this attention but it is what it is so by by the sixth film which was my second film I kind of tried to take it less seriously but yeah number five my first one I felt really paralyzed by all that it was very odd getting fan mail and people you know just being interested in me um so yeah I don't know I didn't handle it all that well and like nobody really teaches you about that I I, I find it interesting nowadays um that people like teenagers people who are going through the same thing I went through around that time they're much more savvy and I think it's because of social media they're all very branded and like they all have deals with makeup lines and things like that and I do look back on the time that we were all in Potter I was like we were so naive we didn't have a clue really and in a way it was nice we kept more innocence we weren't we weren't we didn't have social media we weren't checking people's comments about ourselves or or Twitter or anything like that and so you know, you'd be on set, you'd be doing the films for nine months a year, and you wouldn't really have any concept of what was going on, what people thought of you, until there was something like a premiere or a press tour, and then it was a big deal. But for the most part, we were very much protected from it. And yeah, I I found it very odd at first. Yeah. Mm. And what was it like kind of coming out the other side when when the franchise kind of, when it ended? How did you cope with that part? 
Um, that was really sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't want it to end. It was so much fun. And it was funny because it, it, it all came to an end for me at the same time as school came to an end. So kind of the two things that were consistent and were a daily routine or just gave structure to my life, they immediately disappeared. And it was, it was very weird to go from you know, so much happening, even in my, my inbox, people like asking me to do things, telling me where to be, to, to being like, oh, I have to decide what I do every day and I have to take responsibility. And like, I think everyone struggles with that. Like when they get out of university, that it's like, nobody's going to tell you what to do, how to be an adult. Um, and I, but it didn't really hit me until like the last day of filming, clearing out my dressing room. It was like, oh, wow, this is like, that it's gone now that it was a it was a once in a lifetime thing and um it's we're never going to have that back um but i i did also feel really excited for like the opportunities beyond that because um the thing about being in such a huge franchise is i mean you have so much fun you're very supported um you're very well looked after but you don't have a lot of um like artistic freedom there's so many people who are involved in your character and your performance and so i was excited to go on to things that where it was like i'd be more on my own i'd be more i'd more have to yeah make decisions myself um but yeah i and i think i was also a bit naive i thought it would be the acting industry would be a lot kinder <laughs> and a lot yeah. easier um after that but it was it was really difficult yeah um yeah. and i went to la for a few years and um very it's a very competitive industry and i was very lucky to start with harry potter to start with such good writing and such a nice team um so yeah it was definitely an adjustment afterwards yeah well, you're best known now for your amazing vegan podcast, which is award-winning, so it's Chip Peeps. Um, and how many years have you been doing that for now? Um, about three years, yeah. We started in 2017 and um, yeah. didn't realise how much work podcasting would be. <laughs> You've like, had, some, you had some great guests, though, haven't you? you had some really big people and, and across so many different sectors as well. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like ethical fashion through to, you know, just vegan eating. Yeah. And hardcore activists. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. All these people that I really admire and they always give me something to think about. Um, I, and I, I knew that would work for me. Like um, as soon as I went vegan and started talking about it, all the vegan magazines were like, just contacting me, wanting to put me on their covers. And I was a bit like, whoa, what, what's going on? Like, I've, I'm not, I'm new to this. I don't, I don't really... Yeah, I, I still was struggling with it and I still felt, oh, sorry, that's my cat in the background. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I still felt like I didn't really know how to do it properly. But I found just because I have a platform, just because of Harry Potter and my past, um, I had a lot of connections within the vegan movement instantly. And I, mm. I knew, oh, this would be great for a podcast. I can just, you know, I don't want to talk. I just want to have people on and talk to them and learn from them. Um, so, yeah, but that, that was one of the things that really worked in my favor for doing the two peeps. And, um, yeah, we start 2017. I do it with three other friends. And we all have such different perspectives. We all come to it from a different place. And we actually argue quite a lot behind the scenes. But I think it makes for an interesting podcast, an interesting chemistry that, you know, we all really have the animals at heart. That's what we want to talk about. I and mean, that's the, the, we want to help save animals from suffering. But we all have different ways that we think is the right way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just really glad. I, I love the conversations and it's a nice way. It's just, I mean, a lot of the time, the conversation on veganism is too serious 
and mm. you think that you have to just always be thinking about the animal suffering and it's it can be a bit miserable and I, I think we're trying to show that you can just be normal people and have a laugh and still care about these things so um, yeah yeah hopefully that's what we do do you find fighting for animal rights a lot more satisfying than acting like that you're actually really putting your mark on the world and making it a better place or do you still continue to do a lot of acting in the background yeah I still do acting um acting is just for me really yeah. it's my it, it I mean sometimes it feels a bit self-indulgent and I do when I like really got into animal rights activism and became vegan I I I struggled with a lot of guilt to be like how do you ever shut this off should I even like do should should I have any comforts like when animals are suffering so much and there are so many amazing activists who do it full time and they really sacrifice a lot. Um, but I think ultimately I came to the conclusion that I am a better activist when I am keeping a bit more moderate, more of a balanced life. And when I, you know, people come to me because of Harry Potter and because of my acting. So I think it's important that I still show up that way um, and that my vegan activism is just part of what I do um, but but no I, I would say I find acting more satisfying and more fun because that's where mm. I find out more about myself and you just you make, you make so many amazing connections with people you connect really deeply the relationships you have like especially on things like on plays where you're rehearsing for four weeks that's a very intimate bonding experience um so yeah I love that more but the the activism I just feel I need to do it I'm just so horrified by what happens to animals that I, I just can't I don't really have an excuse not to do it but you know I don't really want to have to be fighting for animals I wish they were all free I wish they had rights and were respected um so I can't say that I find it like it's not like I get a thrill from it it's just that I know it's what I'm meant to be doing and yeah every time I hear a story about an animal being abused I feel such a visceral reaction that I'm like you know what if, if people are going to listen I might as well just keep talking about this mm, and use your platform in the right way yeah, yeah. absolutely and mm. um, you've also launched the kinder beauty box tell mm. us a little bit about that yeah um yeah that's something i i launched with my friends danielle monet and andrew bernstein uh, both really great vegan activists danielle is an actress as well and i think our way of doing activism really aligns uh, so we talk about this on the podcast we talk about attractivism which is like using just positive reinforcement um leading by example not blaming people not trying to make them feel guilty or ashamed for you know being part of a really messed up system um it's it is really all about inspiring rather than shaming um mm. and so the kind of beauty box is kind of a yeah to, to, it's that really um we we notice like obviously you can be vegan in your diet in your wardrobe and every way every part of your life and one part is also like your beauty routine and the makeup and cosmetics you use every day because for the most part these things uh, that you find in in supermarkets like in boots or whatever they're all tested on animals but mm. there's such a um, discrepancy in in what people do and how they feel because most people if you ask them they're really appalled by testing on animals and it is horrible and um it's shocking to think that it still goes on it's still so widespread when it's actually not even very good science you know like they're testing mm. 
um, creams and pastes on mice and rabbits and rats. And it's like, that's not the same as humans. Um, our biology is very different. Um, so we just found that there were loads of people that most people you talk to are like, yeah, I would love to just be cruelty free, but it's really hard. Um, you have to do so much research and planning. You can't just go down to the supermarket and buy some toothpaste. You have to like read five articles on, on Google. Um, so we just felt that if we make it a bit easier, um, if we do all the work where we find all these great vegan brands um, and, you know, we're very lucky because between the two of us, we have a large following on Instagram, for example, a lot of these brands are keen to work with us and yeah, it's just been amazing. Just trying to yeah make cruelty free and vegan beauty life much easier and more accessible and um yeah more fun so that's what it is every month if you subscribe you get a vegan cruelty free a box full of um four to five products and yeah it's nice <laughs> it's very light work are they different products each time did you get yeah, different kind of introducing new brands yeah yes exactly that's cool mm. that's amazing and um, so thinking about kind of relationships so you were you were one of four growing up you sound like you're from a big family and so how did you think your position in the family affected your development and how you developed as a as a person do you oh. think because you were in, in the middle weren't you yeah I was the third girl um that's an, an interesting question <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, that's true everyone is so affected isn't it funny that like you grow up in the same house but you're so affected by your position um I think hmm, it, it gave me like, because I was the third girl, I definitely was quite like naive and carefree in that I didn't have all the responsibilities. Um, and I often got away with not doing the washing up and things like that. Um, and I think my, my, like I wasn't, my brother was the real baby. He was the mm. baby, baby. Um, but I still was treated, I got off quite a lot. I got away with being just a bit more flighty. Um, but I think I also really struggled with a sense of identity because I was in a family of, they're all teachers, they're all really smart. Um, you know, my siblings pretty much all grew up to be teachers. Um, and my sister, my eldest sister was very smart, just excelled at everything she did. Um, and I think by the time it came to me doing exams and things like that, she'd already done it all. It wasn't impressive to get good grades, but it was expected. Um, so I, I think I just, I, I really, yeah, I, as a kid, I really struggled with what, what's the point of me? Who am I? Um, I was definitely the artistic one. And that was in a way I sort of found my identity in that. But um, that also felt quite uncertain because, you know, art, by its nature is subjective you're never going to please everyone with it you're never going to kind of have a, a metric system by which you can say this is good this is acceptable um whereas yeah academia and um just other things my other sister was very sporty they're a lot more kind of set or certain and the careers that go with them um so i think yeah i definitely I just didn't really know who I was for a long time. Didn't know how mm -hmm. to assert myself. Um, but I did in many ways have also quite a carefree childhood because I didn't have the pressure that they had.
Yeah, and I was a bit like you, I got away with murder. Whereas yeah. my, I saw my other sisters, yeah, I would have a stricter rule imposed on them. But then how did your friends react to you finding fame through Harry Potter? Was that quite difficult or did a lot of them stick by you and didn't treat you any differently? Yeah, um, a lot of them, yeah, didn't treat me any differently. I think like when I got the part, there was a lot of excitement and I had a few, suddenly got a, 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 like a little crowd of new friends <laughs> um, <laughs> who were not really friends. But um, my my main friends, like after a while it did, it just died down, it just became normal. And people were like, oh, she is still that weird girl who reads books at lunchtime. Like it wasn't, and that was the thing, I was playing the school weirdo in Hogwarts as well. And mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, you know, I, I was, I, I'd never been the popular outgoing kid and I wasn't going to change because of suddenly being in a movie. Um, so it did settle back into, what it was after and um yeah like I I didn't really at that age I didn't have a best friend and I didn't know if I felt that I had really close friends but I did have like three yeah two or three friends in in who I'd known since primary school and knew and then went to high school with them and yeah we've we've stayed friends like we're all quite different people it's the kind of you know those friendships that they are there because of your past and time and your shared experiences growing up but we all have very different interests um but then i suppose the thing that did change was when i started going to other places i remember i went to my first summer camp um not my first summer camp well my first summer camp after getting the role like the the summer of the first the fifth movie coming out um and i did suddenly notice oh people are a lot more interested in me oh people want to talk to me and people are very very nice and that was kind of exciting for for a minute it was it, it felt kind of thrilling to suddenly have lots of choice and and sort of be popular but then it 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 kind of went the other way where I was like oh these people aren't real friends and I I definitely closed up a bit and became a lot more wary and I think that's a sad kind of difficult part of being famous is that you have to become less trusting and um you have to just yeah you have to have a lot of um boundaries and and I've noticed that with some with some other more famous actors actresses that I've been around they're really nice but it's quite hard to like get to know them and get close because they have this iron wall around them because yeah people unfortunately people can can take advantage um so it took me quite a while to then to go from being kind of the quiet just weird person in school to suddenly having lots of friends and to know to be able to discern who are my real friends but I think I'm good at that now I think I have a good sense yeah yeah and did you make many friends on the Harry Potter set that you're still friendly with to this day yeah I love them all really um just saw Katie the other day Katie Leung we went we went for cocktails and it was like I hadn't drunk anything since lockdown so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it went to my head right away um and I saw James and Ollie yesterday actually because they have a podcast as well Um, and Bonnie I'm good friends with and yeah a bunch of them really they're all really Mm -hmm. lovely and um I was always quite close with Katie and my friend Scarlett as well, Scarlett Byrne. Um, I was close with those two on the films. And then I think everyone else, we've actually gotten to be better friends since because mm-hmm. there are things like, um, uh, you know, the Harry Potter, um, the, what is it, the theme park. 
the wizarding world yeah. yeah yeah so we go to those things we promote those and i think it's just over the years we've realized how unique to have that common experience it is and at the time it didn't feel that interesting or different but as you get older it's like oh that was a huge part of my youth and um well teenage years and there's only a small group of people who went through that too so yeah we've definitely bonded more over those shared experiences yeah so earlier you touched on struggling with your identity um, and you've been quite open about how you suffered from anorexia when between mm -hmm. the age of 11 and 13 mm -hmm. yeah um so how how do you think that how do you think that was triggered in your youth? Because 11 is quite young to develop an eating disorder. Yeah, totally. Um, although I, I've been really surprised. I've actually been writing a lot about all this stuff lately. I think a lot of people at 11, it's an interesting age and it's not something that's like talked about medically really because it's not puberty. It's not, you're not a teenager. You're not coming of age. But I've, I've noticed a lot of people at 11, actually in Glennon Doyle's book, she talks about that. I think that's when she developed bulimia. Um, my cousin, we've talked about that too. It's just where you're like, you're suddenly aware that of yourself, every part of you, and that you're, it's not just, it, it you're responsible for it, you know, that people are going to love it or hate it and i think by it i mean your body and you know, how you look and present yourself to the world and that you kind of have to figure out what that is and how to present yourself um so yeah and it, it was young like i i went to a treatment center eventually in london and most the average age was like 15 16 but there were a few um 11 12 year olds as well so yeah it, and i also i reckon it's more common now i think people are sadly like they're being forced to just mature sooner than they had done um and and they're all really conscious of 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 themselves and how they come across to the world i think they don't have that innocence for as long as as we did really um yeah but I, and is that social media driving that do you I think i reckon yeah definitely, definitely. yeah yeah and, and also perhaps where you grow up i don't know did you grow up in more like a rural environment yeah. or in a mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i don't know if there's something about keeping your innocence for a bit longer when you live in a, in a rural yeah. situation i don't know yeah 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 sorry i don't know if i answered your question there <laughs> oh no so <laughs> did you think anything in particular triggered it do you oh. think or was it just a kind of coming of age thing um, I, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really difficult question to answer. And it, I remember mm. at the time when I was going through it, like it's one that really haunted my mom and it haunts parents of people with eating disorders. Um, mm. I get letters from like dads and brothers, sisters of people who are struggling and they really, they just want to know why, what is it? And obviously it's different for every person. But it, it's also just like, and that was the thing I kind of had to try and communicate to my mom years later. Like, it's nothing you did and it's nothing you didn't mm. do. It just, it just was. It's just something about me that had to go through this. And I, I think for me, it's similar, like, it's kind of the stuff I was talking about a few minutes ago. It was a crisis of identity. It was feeling like I didn't have anything of worth um, and that I didn't know what I would do to kind of, like, be loved or have security or have any kind of success in the world. Um, I just wanted, yeah, something that was 
definite about me that couldn't be taken away and that people would accept me for. And I didn't trust any of the other things I was doing. Like I was getting into acting um, and I was really into art and I just, but I really felt like none of this is worth anything. And then the eating disorder, you just kind of slip into it. It's not something you intentionally do, but it just, it is like an addiction. I just found real comfort in the fact that I could, um, I could focus on just my what I ate every day and trying to control my size and that was something I couldn't really fail at I could just keep going keep going and it almost it immunized me to any sense of of failure of um or of yeah if something went bad if an exam went bad or um if a friend hurt me or something I could just relying on my eating disorder so um there was a lot of safety and security in it and I think that's what people don't understand um on the outside they think you're harming yourself they think you're killing yourself but but you feel the opposite you feel like it's kind of a life boy you feel like it's the thing that is sustaining you and so that is why it's so hard to give up it's so hard mm. to lose that security Mm. And and what played a part in your recovery? Because I've read that you know reading all the Harry Potter books really helped to get you through mm. it, and and it says you kind of came out of it at the age of thirteen, but you've got the role at fourteen. So was there something about getting that role in Harry Potter that helped to kind of fix it or give you that sense of identity that you'd lost? Hmm. Um, well, I definitely I was physically recovered by the time I got Potter. Um, I had done several treatment centers, um, but I I think no mentally I wasn't recovered and I was still the thing was I was 11 and um I knew I, I didn't have so you know I kept getting checked into programs against my will and mm. um like forced to gain weight essentially couldn't get out of those things until I reached a certain target weight and so I think in my head I was like right I'll just gain this weight and keep them happy and then I'll lose it again and I'll just I'll keep outsmarting them um and I think I was sort of in between that place because I was finding after a few bouts of recovery which is really hard you know and obviously and it's just kind of horrible anytime you get checked back into a center it's oh you have to go through it all over again um mm. so so I think I was definitely, I was tired of having to recover and having to do all that. And then I was also starting to enjoy my life a bit more. I was starting to find, and I still, I think I hadn't fully let go of the disorder and I didn't want to, I still felt really attached to it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, life was kind of taking off and it was, it was mm -hmm. fun and I had dreams and I was, I was really starting to see that, um, oh, I think I want to kind of choose life and I want to choose being fully healthy and it's really hard to fully focus on anything else when you have a disorder I don't think you can I don't think you can sustain your dreams and your disorder at the same time you kind of have to pick one um but I think it was a really gradual thing for me I think it was like my ambition coming back resurfacing after the disorder and you know I have a lot of thoughts on treatment for it like outpatient treatment um the place i went to was really brutal and like afterwards it insisted that you phone in your week every week and you tell them your calories and your parents have to keep a food diary and my parents after a couple of weeks they 
completely stop doing that because they were like this is doing the opposite of helping you recover this is making you more obsessed and it's like you can never actually be free so um i really credit them a lot for for my eventual recovery that they invested in me in other ways like they really helped me pursue acting and dancing and and um just nurtured those parts of me because that's the thing with letting go of an eating disorder it's like you've done this thing for two years you've let this thing kind of drain you all your mm. friendships have kind of dried up um you haven't got anything else going on so a lot of recovery is really rebuilding yourself uh, reclaiming yourself from your disorder um and it's hard because you are behind your peers however i mean and the longer it goes on the more further you are behind your peers and, and a lot of people who go through it in their teens like they miss their gcse's they miss their a levels and all their friends are going on and, and that kind of sets them deeper back into their disorder i think so i really do think the quicker you can get out of it the better it is the better mm -hmm. for your life and and the best treatments of recovery is to just try and help them recover their self um, and it's of course tricky balance because you're sick <laughs> and a lot of the time you just look sick but yeah after i got out of that last treatment center my parents really put a lot of uh, work into just helping me build up my self-esteem and i think it was that i think it was rediscovering my ambition and having dreams again that helped me and yeah i mean i don't i was definitely out of the woods by the time harry potter came along and i think that was good i think otherwise it might have set me off again to be like under the spotlight but um mm. no it was it was it was and as i say i think recovery is something that just happens for years after a long yeah. time it, it just it, you keep working on these things and i've continued to be in therapy um but yeah you do get there eventually yeah yeah and and what about your kind of veganism did that did that play a part in your recovery in terms of how you changed your what you ate yeah that's an interesting question because i think a lot of people think um if veganism is so restrictive it's like you're cutting mm. all these things out um i found it hard at first actually going vegan because i did think that way i was like i have to stop eating this and this and and i had reclaimed so much of the uh things that i'd cut out before you know like even eating chocolate that during my eating disorder was unthinkable and then recovery was being like right i'm just going to eat this anyway and i'm not going to feel i'm going to try and not feel ashamed and then so things like losing those things as well like at birthdays you don't have the birthday cake and things mm -hmm. i felt that was a bit triggering so i didn't i didn't succeed at veganism at first because of that because it was bringing up all this weirdness and guilt around food and um, but then a friend of mine taught me he called it the crowding out method so he was like before you give anything up don't don't give anything up just add things in he was like add in new vegan foods start trying the plant milks um, learn how to cook tofu so it's not gross you know like try um, vegan ice cream vegan chocolate like just he was like just try loads of things and then eventually you you probably notice that you won't need the animal products as much and that's exactly what happened and that's the healthiest way I can recommend doing it um, and then and I, I actually I do find that it really helped me with my relationship with food because before it would be my food was really about just calories and um, what it would do to my body and um, suddenly with veganism it's just like 
it became about something more than me and myself. It was about a cause and it was about being more aligned with who I was um, and my values. And, um, and it took the focus off calories. Like, you know, vegan, a vegan cupcake was something good. Whereas before in my head, I've been like labeled as a bad food. And mm-hmm. I think over time of just eating a bit more normally and being really happy to find vegan options, it, it, it made me get rid of that whole label system of good and bad foods or, um, this food will make me feel guilty or this food is good for me. Um, and that, that, yeah, ultimately that really helped my recovery. Yeah. That's amazing. And so in terms of like your self care now, how do you think it's changed over the years? Do you have any like rituals like doing yoga or meditation, um, that you wish you could have taught your younger self? Um, I think movement is a big part of it. Um, that, that, yeah, I love, dancing and any type of just physical exercise um so yeah I don't know I think at, back then I just was so out of balance um I wonder if I discovered things like yeah dance and now I do aerial I do like circus stuff which is so fun but like even that the focus is more on the art of it or strength like you get the moves when you're strong um it's not about being just perfect um in an aesthetic way so um yeah and and just I feel I I think for years the way I managed recovery was that I completely ignored my body I was almost just like living from the neck up I was very in my head which is not good as an actor and I found that challenging so um after Potter I started doing acting classes and and I did I did more just experimental work and that was the thing that kept coming up that I just wasn't connected with my body I wasn't in my body but I think because recovery was such a painful process I had to just divorce myself from my body pretend I didn't care about it pretend it just it wasn't really there it was just kind of a a vehicle that led me around and I think the next stage of recovery for me was reconnecting to that and even though that was uncomfortable because like as with those with that history there you get you can be disgusted by your body you can just be like I don't want to think about it or look at it or anything but um dance movement um yeah things like circus they've all reconnected me to it in a way that I feel grateful for it um I find it really hard to like love my body um I find that that can be quite disingenuous all the talk about love your body it's like hang on I've spent the last 20 years hating it and I suddenly have to be a lover like so my therapist said to me she's like what about just being its friend like what about that simple thing of just being nice to it not being a total bitch to your body and that has been a much more helpful empowering way for me to look at it and I think every time I do something that is physically challenging yeah, like dancing or like do a lot of aerial hoop and it's like you walk home sore and you suddenly I feel this care for my body I feel like thank you for doing that that was really hard but we kind of worked together and did something cool so mm. yeah I'm at a place of gratitude for it and maybe eventually that will be love but I think this is okay for now yeah. yeah and so you're obviously based in London are there any fitness studios that you like going to like you mentioned doing aerial hoop do you go to mm-hmm. any of the circus schools yeah go to all of them yeah. <laughs> there's funny people who get into this they are really obsessed because you have to, to get any way to learn any of the moves the first class yeah. is like horrible it's excruciating you're like I'll never be able to do anything but if you go to a second and third class 
you'll just find slowly you'll start to get moves and it's such a euphoric feeling um so yeah i go to all of them really um yeah because it's like flying fantastic yeah. to go there yeah, yeah i just did a course there last week it was fab yeah yeah they're great and i i always watch them in, in awe when they're doing all their drills it's amazing yeah. mm. it's such a cool concept to get people moving their bodies in a really unique and different way because it's not all about sweating out on the treadmill is it no exactly yeah finding that kind of creativity in your body yeah and everyone's um, at such a different level in each class and you still yeah. find things to do yeah so other than your aerial hoop like what other ways do you get your endorphins kind of surging are you like you mentioned you go out for cocktails with your friends yeah. like what are some other things that you do yeah go dancing with my friends that's yeah. absolutely probably my happiest place when you're just a little bit tipsy um, yeah. i don't drink a lot but like yeah when you go out for a dance have a drink love that such a fun feeling um what else i don't know um i love reading but that's not really an endorphins thing um so yeah it's mostly dancing that'd be my most yeah. that yeah brings the happy feelings yeah do you did you find that growing up in in rural ireland did that kind of make you want to kind of go back to nature or was it made you want to live in a city because you kind of were sick of being isolated from oh yeah 100 city i was like this yeah. is so boring <laughs> get me out of here and i still love that i love that for example, yeah, that I can just decide, oh, I want to learn circus now or anything and that there's experts here to do that. I think you have so many options and access, so much access here. Um, but it does, um, I do also love going home. I love the peace it gives and it is so serene. And I find, I think that's something about getting older, like, wow, nature is beautiful. Yeah. I've been really struck by autumn lately. I keep just saying to people, the leaves. And it's like such an old thing to do, isn't it? As a kid growing up in the country, I was like, God, there's so many leaves. All it is mm -hmm. is green fields. Um, so yeah, it's definitely really nice to go home, but I really, I like living in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And where is home in Ireland? Uh, County Loud, which is on the East Coast um yeah deep countryside there's no yeah. buses or anything <laughs> <laughs> i mean so it was a pretty isolated then growing up yeah with your family mm -hmm. yeah yeah we had, we had a lot of cats i think because my parents mm -hmm. felt sorry for us that because when up until i was about five we lived in a housing state and there were always friends to play with you just run over to their house um but when we moved i think we were just bored even though there was four of us but we just kept being mm -hmm. like can we have more cats can we have birds mm -hmm. can we have fish and they just kept getting us animals <laughs> yeah, yeah. well you're about to launch your third series aren't you of yeah. the podcast mm -hmm. so have you got are, are you able to reveal any kind of any names that you've got on the next series to give uh, us a teaser yeah why not uh, we're interviewing fern cotton very excited Amazing. about that um she's so lovely and she's very inspiring um, she followed our podcast last season and we were so excited and we were like, let's get her on for season three. Um, so yeah. that's going to be fun. Uh, Preacher Lawson, he's an amazing comedian. He was on American, America's Got Talent. And I just love when we meet a vegan comedian because we're often the butt of people's jokes and it's like, yeah. damn straight, we're going to fight back. <laughs> so um, that's two. Um, I think that's I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, but it's, it's, it's a good comment actually, because people do think that because you're vegan, you take life a bit too seriously yeah. or you're kind of, you can't have fun. So what you're doing is trying to kind of like open it up to people and just, even what you said about like, not necessarily taking things away from your diet, but just supplementing it with some vegan things. Like mm. that's probably the best way to kind of explore it. Isn't Definitely. It? Yeah. yeah. Just, it shouldn't feel restrictive. It shouldn't feel punishing. It should mm. just feel, yeah. Like you, it's, it's just like learning a new language. You're going to have to learn Learn to do 
things a little bit differently, to think a little bit differently and a bit outside the box. But it just becomes your norm eventually. It is for me. It was definitely hard at first. Like the first two months or so, it was I was, I was constantly thinking about it. But um, if you just do it a bit at a time, like just veganize one meal at a time, just mm. learn maybe one or two new recipes a week and you just kind of gradually fold it into your current life and yeah. it doesn't feel like such a upheaval. Yeah. Mm. Are there any kind of like vegan treats on your radar at the moment that you're really loving? Oh my God, like, I, I, I live on vegan treats. Yeah, <laughs> I love vegan chocolate. Vigo, have you ever tried those? no oh they're so good they're, you just don't believe they're vegan vigo yeah. um booja booja ice cream it's expensive mm. ice cream it's fancy ice cream but it's worth it as like a treat and um, ombar yeah. chocolate these are all like fancy ones maybe vigo yeah. is like a bit more a bit cheaper but anyway yeah those are some ones that i just like yeah i love them they make my life, yeah. vegan life a lot easier and any restaurants in London that you swear by? Oh, um, I love Mildred's. Go there quite mm. a lot. Um, Earthling Ed's Diner is great. Um, I think for a more fancy occasion, Pharmacy in Notting Hill. Delicious. Mm. Yes, lots of great options. Yeah, there's more opening all the time, aren't there? Yeah. So it's actually making the process of eating more plant-based quite easy. Yeah. And it is really tasty, delicious food as well. Yeah, it's just food. That's yeah. what, like, my mom, whenever I would, like, cook for her, she'd be like, oh, this tastes like real whatever it is. And it's like, that's what it is. It's just food. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I think we have these discussions on the podcast a lot where it's like, do you say pizza or vegan pizza? Because if you mm. say pizza, people will be like, well, aren't you vegan? But if you say vegan pizza, it's almost like you're saying that it is odd or different. And um, mm. we want to normalize it, but I don't think we're there yet. We're probably still no. saying vegan pizza. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Ivana. Yeah, thank you for having me on. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.